Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We're a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into this same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and to reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Well, good morning. Well, those aren't my notes, so I know you're hoping that this notes will be short. <laughs> we are in Acts chapter 19 this morning, so uh, But even before we start in Acts chapter 19, let me do this. Turn your Bibles to John chapter one. John chapter one gives us a setting for our message this morning. Before I start, I just wanted to um, say thank you to our church. As one of the elders, um, I kind of watch the offering, the budgets, and kind of see how we're doing. I have to confess, sometimes I worry about it for God. And it's like, oh boy, we're down, we're down. Um, Last week we had a great offering. And once again, God said to me, Mark, that's not yours to worry about. And I just want to say thank you for being faithful in giving to the Lord and His ministry. Um, You blessed my heart last week. I hope you blessed it again. Uh, (laughs) Just be faithful. I know sometimes we come to you and you say, we're behind, we're behind. I just want to do positive this time and say, we're a little bit behind, but we are really doing great. So thank you for that. Um, This morning as we start, and open your Bibles to John chapter 1, And now just sit there and look at the Bible a minute and understand that you have the written Word of God in your hands. This is the message that God has for you today. God has given us everything we need to know about Him in this book we call the Bible. And this morning... We have the privilege and the opportunity to take the very written Word of God, inspired, given to men who wrote it down as God would tell them, as the Holy Spirit would lead them. And now this morning, we're going to open it and read it. And then let me ask you this. You came to church and you carried your Bibles. What did you expect God to say to you today? Did you come ready to hear from from the Word of the Lord? Or do we just get in the habit of coming to church and we say, okay, we're here again. Man, come ready. Come ready to hear and see what God has to say to you today. Um, All right. John chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 19. Let's stand up as we read, okay? If you're able to stand, let's stand. We'll just give honor to God's Word this morning. Follow along as I start to read in John chapter 1, verse 19. This is the testimony of John when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John whether he claimed to be the Messiah. And he flatly denied it. I am not the Messiah, he said. Well, then, who are you, they asked. Are you Elijah? No. Are you a prophet? 
No. Then who are you? Tell us so that we can give an answer to those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? And John replied in the words of Isaiah, I am the voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare a straight way, for the Lord is coming. Then those who were sent by the Pharisees asked him, If you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or a prophet, what right do you have to baptize? Then John said, I baptize with water. But right here in the crowd is someone you do not know who will soon begin his ministry, and I am not even worthy to be his slave. This incident took place in Bethany, in a village east of the Jordan where John was baptizing. And the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I have to stop a minute. From the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament is 400 years. And God was silent for 400 years. Now a prophet comes. And did you hear what the first message was for after 400 years? He said, look, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All of the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. And John gets to say, he's here. All right, back to the Scripture here, verse 30. He's the one I was talking about when I said, Soon a man is coming who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before I did. I didn't know he was the one, but I've been baptizing with water in order to point you to him. Then John said, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting on him. I didn't know that he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, when you see the Holy Spirit descending and resting upon someone, he is the one you are looking for. He is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify. He is the Son of God. Wow. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving to us your word, for revealing yourself to us, for revealing your plan of Jesus who would come and die for us through this written word. And Father, today as we look into your word, I pray that you would give us understanding and clarity. May we be able to take the word today and apply it to our lives as you would teach us today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, now we're in the book of Acts. And we had to set a little bit of groundwork here before we get started. Because there's going to be two groups of people, or one individual and then a small group of people who have been under the ministry of John the Baptist. The first person is Apollos. And we're in John, or John, okay, we're in Acts again, chapter 19. The very first thing, or the first person mentioned is, it said, while Apollos was in Corinth. Well, who's Apollos? We should have met Apollos back in chapter 18. Jeremy didn't get quite that far last week. But Apollos is basically an Old Testament saint who had studied the Scriptures, who had talked with John, and John's baptism was this. 
It was a recognition of one's sins, a desire to turn and to be cleansed, and a commitment to follow God's law in anticipation of the Messiah's arrival. John is preaching, be baptized, turn from sin, and look for the Messiah. This man, Apollos, is going around teaching, and he's been instructed under John's baptism, John's leadership, and Priscilla and Aquila, remember we met them last week? They hear his teaching, and they say something's missing here a little bit. And so they talk to him, and they give him instruction that Jesus has now come, and it changes his message. He was preaching, Jesus is going to come. But now, at the last verse in chapter 18, Apollos says, the Messiah you are looking for is Jesus. So now Apollos has come to a complete understanding of the person and the work of Jesus Christ, how he came and died for him and rose again. All right, now we're in chapter 19. Well, Apollos was in Corinth, and you could read along with me or follow with me. Paul traveled through the interior provinces and finally came to Ephesus where he found several believers. And he asked this question of them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now that seems like an odd question. And let me clarify something here as we go. My translation says he found several believers. Um, scripture's correct. The translation maybe isn't quite correct. The Greek word, I learned from Pastor Jeremy, no, and I'm not going to try to pronounce it, but instead of believer, it's actually follower or learner. So these were 12 men who were following the word or learning the word. And the question is, have you received the Spirit? And that seems a little awkward or different or strange because I've probably never gone up to you and said, hey, Kevin, have you ever received the Spirit? You might look at me like, yeah, <laughs> what's the trick question? But we're in a transition time in the book of Acts. And now what's happening is as every believer accepts the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into them immediately. Now, I will tell you, there's a little bit difference of opinion in scholars on this, um, whether these men were not yet believers or whether they had not yet received the Spirit. I take the stance and agree with those who say they were not yet believers, and I'm trying, I will try to explain that to you this morning here. He asked them, have you received the Spirit? And they replied, no, we don't even know what you mean. We haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. So the question is, have you received the Spirit? Well, we don't have a clue. What are you talking about? The question is from John, or from Paul, what baptism have you experienced? And they're like, well, John's baptism. Remember, uh, we recognized our sins. We had a desire for spiritual cleansing. And we have a commitment to follow God's law. And we're anticipating the coming of the Messiah. Paul responds back to them. John's baptism was to demonstrate a desire to turn from sin and to turn unto God. John himself told the people to believe in Jesus, the one John said would come later. Paul says Jesus has come. You know the Messiah you're anticipating and waiting for? He's come. He's here. And then he as he explains to them, 
Jesus came, God becomes man in flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. He's crucified. He dies. He's buried. But he rose again. And these 12 men were just ready to hear it, and they accept that. And as soon as they heard this in verse 5, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Paul laid his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came on them. And they spoke in tongues and prophesied, and there were about 12 men in all. I want to make a couple of comments here about some of what happened. You know, as I start to make an outline and I start to look at what to share, the issue that they started speaking in tongues and prophesying kind of seemed like an issue to me that maybe we would address. But really what that was was God's authority or God's blessing on them at that time. And we're not going to go into that this morning. What was more important than how do we get tongues and prophesy was the fact of how do we receive the Spirit and even how do we find Jesus. But here's the thing I'd like to look at this morning. As we've gone through the book of Acts, we receive the Spirit, we receive the Spirit, we receive the Spirit when they find Jesus Christ and accept Him as Savior. Now, if I were Apollos from the previous chapter, I would refute those with powerful arguments and debate and using the Scripture to explain to them I'm not the guy for powerful argument and debate, okay? But in talking about the Spirit and how important that is, I'd like to just ask this question. So we have the Spirit, so what? Okay, don't throw stones at me yet, okay? So we have the Spirit, so now what do we do with Him? Let me illustrate this way. I have an iPhone. Mostly, I don't know what to do with it. Um, for a long time, I thought you just made phone calls on an iPhone. And I was pretty proud of myself when I could actually find somebody and call them and figure out how to search contacts. This, look, I'm a slow learner, okay? So now I have an iPhone. I thought this was a phone that you call people on. Most people don't even call people on their phone. In fact, I know a girl who won't even answer her phone, but only answers if you text her. So this really isn't an iPhone, it's an i-something computer, something else. So then I discovered what texting was. And at first I thought that was terrible, because why wouldn't you call and talk to somebody? But usually on my lunch hour, I just send Gwen a text of whatever's going on in my day, um, anything clever and witty I can think of to make her day. Uh, I tell her I love her. I figured out those emojis. I send her a big smiley face. I mean, like, I'm going high tech, folks, all right? (laughs) And then I found out on my phone how I could play music like on YouTube. And so I figured I could, you know, that it's amazing. And then I found an app because I got tired of always punching in the different ones. Like, you can punch in five hours of gospel music. And this thing will just play for five hours straight. 
unless I forgot to charge my battery. And then last week at work, the guys are going around with their phones at work, a couple of the guys were, and they said, hey, Mark, wait a minute, I want to take your picture. So I'll take my picture and here, look at this. Well, there's this app. I don't know, do we have any apps, dear? <laughs> I don't even know where to get an app, <laughs> okay? Like, I hardly know what's in this thing, but they have an app where you take a picture and then it ages you. I was a wrinkly old man, but I still had my mustache. <laughs> so they're going around, it's like, and then one of the guys actually had one of his wife. Yeah, that's not a good thing to show your wife. <laughs> she wasn't impressed with it when he showed her. She was pretty wrinkly. Um, do you know, I had a phone, and for the longest time, I didn't have a clue what it did. I mean, I made phone calls. It's a phone. And I didn't have a clue of all the resource and the capabilities that are in this phone. And I wonder sometimes if we're like that with the Holy Spirit. The Bible in the first 19 chapters of Acts makes such an issue of when they received the Holy Spirit. So now what? Well, let me tell you a few things that the Holy Spirit does in our life. One of the first things that I would mention to you is the Holy Spirit can give us direction. And we would find that in this chapter, in chapter 19, and in verse 21, it says, afterward, after another event here, Paul felt impelled by the Spirit to go over to Macedonia. Do you know that one of the reasons God gave you a Holy Spirit was to give you direction in your life? You say, how does that work? Well, I don't think the Holy Spirit spoke to him verbally, but I would believe that the Holy Spirit so impressed on his heart that he needed to go to Macedonia next. In fact, previously in Acts, Paul had wanted to go to several other places and it's like the Holy Spirit said, no, no, no. And then finally he said, yes, go here. So the Holy Spirit could impress upon our hearts and on our minds not just the direction where to go, not just what house to buy, not just what job to get, not just what wife to marry, but issues of life as I go through life, the Holy Spirit gives us direction. In John chapter 16, verse 8, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. I know you might say, well, that's my conscience. That's, that's my, my knowing wrong. But you know what? God placed the Holy Spirit within you. And when something isn't right, when you've looked at something you shouldn't look at, said something you shouldn't have said, done something you shouldn't have, have done, it's the Holy Spirit within the heart of a believer that said that was wrong. And he, and he quietly will prick your heart and tell you that. The Holy Spirit warns us, and again, um, in the next chapter, or in the next chapter, Acts 20, verse 23. Actually, let's start with verse 22. And now I'm going to Jerusalem, drawn irresistibly by the Holy Spirit. There's that leading again, not knowing what awaits me, except the Holy Spirit has told me in city after city that jail and suffering 
lie ahead. The Holy Spirit gave him wisdom and direction as to what was going to happen into his life. The Holy Spirit guides us in truth in John chapter 16. It says, thy word is truth. Actually, and then in John 17, 17, it says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And the New Living would read it this way, make them pure and holy by teaching them the words of thy truth. The truth, you want to know what truth is? Right here. And as we read the Word of God, and we're, as elders this year, we're encouraging you, uh, and pastors, thank you, Pastor Tom, uh, elders and pastors are encouraging you to be in the Word, to understand who God is and to know Him. The Spirit will guide us in truth. He'll give us understanding. Let, Let me suggest this to you. As you're doing your devotions this week, as you're reading, would you just simply ask the Spirit to give you understanding? Would you just open your heart up? Would would you search your heart, make sure you're right with God, and would you ask the Spirit, give me understanding today. Would you help me to see what you would have to say? What, What would God, Father, have to say to me today? And I know sometimes we get into those difficult passages of Scripture that are like, Wow, and if you're reading the whole Bible through and you get to some of those Old Testament ones where somebody begets somebody begets somebody and it's like, I don't know what that is all about. Um, I can only tell you that all Scripture is inspired and there is a purpose for it. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you understanding and to lead you and to teach you. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed. In, uh, that cannot be in, expressed in words. Sometimes we just don't even know what to pray. We don't even know what to say. The Holy Spirit, who is our helper, and amazingly, God knew we could never do it alone, and so he gives us a helper. He prays for us. It's interesting that after this passage in Acts chapter 19, accepting Christ and being filled with the Spirit is no longer mentioned. Now it's walking in the Spirit or being led by the Spirit. It is just assumed that when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes, un- comes into you. Ephesians 1.13 says, And when you believed in Christ... Uh, He identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. And in 1 John 4, 13, it says, And God who has given us his Spirit as proof that we live in him and he is in us. When you become a believer, you get the Holy Spirit of God. The question is now not do I have the Spirit, but am I led by the Spirit? And I would like to go to Galatians chapter 5 for just a minute and read a little bit here. So I'm sure if we would ask, what's in Galatians chapter 5, many of you would say, well, the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, meekness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, and I probably missed one. But do you know what comes ahead of that? Let me read it to you. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. So I advise you to live according to your new walk in the Holy Spirit or your new life in the Holy Spirit. 
then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The old sinful nature loves to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Holy Spirit wants. And the Holy Spirit gives us desires that are opposite from the sinful nature. These desires, uh, these two forces are constantly fighting each other, and your choices are never free from this conflict. But when you are directed or led by the Spirit, you are no longer subject to the law. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, your lives will produce, and before I read that list, let me say this. I want you to keep in mind as I read this list, he's writing to the church at Galatia. And when I read this list, you're going to go, oh, those were wicked people. But I'm going to tell you, these are Christians. These are people who have said they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So when I live my life apart from the Holy Spirit, and let me just say this too, I have a dilemma in my life, and it was expressed here. I have a redeemed soul, but I've got an unredeemed body. And so there's a conflict because my brain's not redeemed. (laughs) My body's not redeemed. And it still wants to live out of the unredeemed portion. And my spirit, my soul wants to live out of the redeemed part. So there's a conflict. So if I choose to live out of the old part of, of my unredeemed part, it says the evil results are sexual immorality, impure thoughts, Lustful pleasure, idolatry, participation in demonic activities, hostility, quarreling, jealousies, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, divisions, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, other kinds of sin. Let me tell you again, as I've done before, that anyone who does, has this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. You might think then, well, can I lose my salvation if I do these things? No, Scripture acknowledges that we will do these things. But when it talks about not inheriting the kingdom of God, it's talking about those who participate constantly in these things and their lives would give evidence that they've never accepted Jesus Christ. So apart from the Holy Spirit working in my life, my flesh can only produce these evil works. But when I allow the Holy Spirit to work in my life, verse 22, but when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, He will reproduce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. In fact, you know what it's saying there? It's saying there's no law against these things. You can do as much of these as you want, unlike the previous list. When we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, a change takes place in the way that we live. All right, back to Acts chapter 19. We need to move along. Verse 11. God gave Paul the power to do unusual miracles so that even when handkerchiefs or cloths that touched his skin were placed on the sick. They were healed of their diseases, and evil spirits within them came out. This is almost bizarre to me. But God authenticated and so gave his approval on Paul that even if a handkerchief that he had was placed on a sick person, they were healed. And it says evil spirits were cast out. 
Well, that brings on a whole new something here. So the next story is, as we read, there's a team of Jews traveling from town to town, and they're casting out evil spirits. And I think they must have heard Paul at some point because they're going to try casting out evil spirits in the name of Jesus. And what these men would do is they would have a different um, incantation or saying when they would try to cast out a spirit. And they might call upon the sun or the moon or a bull or an ox that shows strength or the wind or the rain and by the power of these call this person to come out. But they must have heard Paul one time. And so they thought to themselves, well, let's try this. And so they say to this person who has a demon in him, in the name of Jesus, come out. Oh, we're going to find that was a bad mistake. The man with the demon says, I know Jesus and I know Paul. But who are you? And I would just like to say in that, the demon acknowledged the power of Jesus Christ. And the demon even acknowledged the authority and the power that God gave to Paul. And he says, who are you? I think these guys must have trembled because I can tell you what, that has probably never happened to them before. And then something amazing happened. And then this man, in verse 16, leaped on them and attacked him with such violence that they fled from the house naked and badly injured. Not only did, were they um, defeated, they were humiliated. And they left this place. And here's the seven sons of Siva, which supposedly they say was a high priest and there's no record of him in Scripture or in writings. So they just grabbed a title and said, hey, we're priests and we're going to try this. Here's these seven sons of Siva. This demon has just jumped on them, defeated them, and humiliated them. And they're leaving. <laughs> they're so beat up. And their clothes were like ripped off. Can you imagine? And then the town sees this happen in verse 17. And the story, happened, the story that happened spread quickly through all of Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. I think to myself, and I say this with all respect, if there's an understatement in the Bible, this is it. This happened to these guys. They were beaten. They're leaving there. They're humiliated. They're naked. Or, or their clothes are tore. And the Bible says, and the story spread quickly. You know how some stories spread really fast? Like something in the shop. All of a sudden, somebody hears something. Uh, we, we had a while back there talking about I wear shorts, t-shirt, and shorts to work, okay? Because I go for comfort. And then I hear somebody said, yeah, the new thing is we're going to have to wear long sleeve shirts, pants, and steel-toed boots. That went through the shop like, Whew. well, that hasn't happened. I don't, I don't know where the story started or how. You know, sometimes a story just spreads. This story spread through town like crazy, but it's like, duh, can you imagine what happened? But here's, here's what's, let's look at the rest of the story here. As a result, a solemn fear descended upon the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. You know what? I'm amazed in a way that Paul wasn't getting all kinds of glory. I mean, this guy even said, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? I'm kind of surprised that the people didn't go to Paul. Whoa, 
you're really something. But Paul, I think, constantly directed all of the glory, all of the praise to the person of Jesus Christ, and I believe that happened here, and his name was greatly honored. And then as a result of that, what happens? Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. People's lives were changed by the gospel. They saw something so amazing that happened that when they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, their lives were changed and they were confessing their sins. One author suggested that um, part of this might have been if you have this thing that you say, you know, casting out spirits, if you ever say it out loud, you lose it. He suggested that that might be even this. So things are happening here. And then a number of them who had been practicing magic brought their incantation books, and they burned them in a public bonfire. And the value of the books was several million dollars. And if you have King James, it probably says uh, 50,000 pieces of silver. And a piece of silver was one day's wage. So look at the value of these books. So people that see this, Give me just a minute. People saw this happen, and they were amazed at the power of God, and the honor and the glory went to God. And they burned these books. Now, you know, some people would have said, $50,000? Why didn't you sell this stuff and give the money to the church? That would be like saying, if I had a habit of pornography and I had a huge stack of books and said, why don't you sell them instead of burn them? (laughs) Because they weren't good for me and they're not good for the next guy. So these books were burned. Um, Listen, they removed all temptation to ever go back. So I used to love to drink Pepsi. When I got home from work at the end of the day, first thing I did was pour a glass of Pepsi, maybe two. And then in the evening after dinner or during dinner, I liked another glass of Pepsi and then maybe another one. And then I decided all that Pepsi wasn't so good for me. So now if you want to know, I drink Lipton Diet Peach Tea. And it still has a little bit of sugar in, but not near as much as the Pepsi. Don't drink your sugar, right, Doc? (laughs) I've changed. But you know what? As long as there's Pepsi in the house... And I'll confess to you, there is some right now, because once in a while, I still like one. But when I started this process, I had to get the Pepsi out of the house. Because when the Pepsi was there, it was too easy to have a Pepsi, because that's what I liked. But if I removed all of the temptation, and all I had was Lipton peach tea, then I drank the tea. And so what they did here was, they got rid of, they took a bold step and removed all all temptation from them. And in doing this, they said, we will never go back to that again in our lives. Can you imagine? They said, we are cleaning house. That is it. We are done. You see this? I'm going to burn it. I will never, ever go back. And let me tell you, we do have a tendency to go back. First Peter 1.14 says, obey God because you are his children. Don't slip back into your old ways of doing evil. And Psalm 119.10 says, With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. If they had these books on the shelf back here, it would be easy, excuse me, someday, just to go back and pick up that book and just see what it was. And then maybe think that wasn't so bad. 
And then kind of they could slowly get drawn into it. Another thing this burning of the books did, it was a public testimony. Before their whole community, these people that were into this took their books and said, I stand publicly and I am done with this. My life has been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 20 says, So the message about the Lord spread widely and had powerful effect. Other translation says that it prevailed mightily or it triumphed or flourished or became mighty or was confirmed. The gospel of Jesus Christ reached these people. Their lives were forever changed. They took a stand and the word of God or God's name was lifted up. There was a change there. The word of the Lord had spread. Well, very quickly, I just want to tell you, there's one more story in this chapter. Paul's in Ephesus. And we're starting in verse 24. Demetrius is a silversmith. And he's got a really good business going. Times are good. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is spread through Ephesus. And this silversmith, his job was making idols to the god Artemis. Now, your Bible might say Diana. And I had to work through this. This was a little hard for me because this idol has to the Greeks, he was Artemis. She was Artemis. To the Romans, she's Diana. So if, it, if yours says Artemis or Diana, it's the same person but different cultural name, okay? But he has a really good business. and He's got this silver shop, and they're making idols to this God. But suddenly business is on the decline because the gospel of Jesus Christ is spreading so much through the city of Ephesus and actually through the whole province that business is dropping off. And he's got some concern, and he starts this meeting, and he says, hey, business is getting really bad, and I'm not making as much money as I used to make. And oh, by the way, we need to protect our idol, Diana, or Ametrius. <laughs> the buck spoke the loudest for him, I can tell you. What's amazing to me is the gospel spread so far, so much, that it was not only in Ephesus, but through the whole land. And he kind of tries to defend it, and he says, yeah, I, I'm, I'm caring about this God is here. Just so I don't run out of time, because I'm going to. I'm amazed that the gospel spreads so far. And I know Paul was in Ephesus preaching for two years, but I don't think everybody that heard the gospel was in church. And I want to suggest to you that people's lives were changing, and they were telling others about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they were living and taking a stand like we saw earlier where they said, what my life used to be isn't anymore. And when you see that kind of change and that kind of evidence, it becomes real. And other people say, if he can change like that, I want part of that. 
I want the God he has, and I want to follow him. And the gospel is spreading like crazy through Ephesus. Let me bring that home to us a minute. When we did a survey, we want our church to be a gospel church. We want to, as a church, present the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the back of this room, on the other side of the wall, it says to know Christ and to make him known. We all want that. But I want to suggest to you, we ought to be like the church in Ephesus. And we ought to be out telling our neighbors about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And not just waiting for everybody to come into the church and hear it. So think about this. If there's maybe 200 of us here this morning, what if we each committed to tell someone in the city of Zealand about Jesus Christ this week? Can you imagine 200 people hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ? Don't just wait for the church to do it. This is you. And what if we did it next week and the next week? Do you know by the end of the year how many people would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? Would it spread like wildfire throughout Zealand and all of Ottawa County? If we would share the gospel of Jesus Christ like they shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, it gets so out of hand, this whole thing about, um, hey, they're telling everybody about Jesus, Jesus and business is bad and it's down, and they actually start a riot. It, it's amazing. Go through Acts sometime. Just read how many riots or how many times there's a mob, and, and, and it gets out of hand. And even I say that, I think, hey, kids, listen a minute. Be careful what crowd you choose. All right? At school, there's a big thing happening over there. Don't mindlessly just go to it. This crowd got so out of hand, there was such confusion that the Bible says people didn't even know why they were there or what they were doing. And yet it was under the, the guise or the thing of, of Diana or Ametrius. And actually the Bible says for two hours they're standing, they're shouting, uh, great is Demetrius, God of the Ephesians, great is Demetrius, God. Can you imagine for two hours going on and 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 on for two hours? And most people didn't even know why they were there. Kids, be careful what crowd you go to, all right? And then the mayor of the city finally gets control and he says, wait a minute. Have these guys stolen or done anything bad? They haven't even talked bad about your God, which I think is amazing. People, we don't have to talk bad about the other gods, the other things. We have to talk about Jesus Christ and what he can do. And he says, if they've done anything illegal, let the courts handle it. But otherwise, folks, we've got to break this up. So it seems like we have quite a few stories here in this chapter Here's, here's the first one. We have the power of the gospel and it brings to us the Holy Spirit. I asked somebody this week, are you ever aware of the Holy Spirit doing something in your life? And he very quickly said, yes. Are you aware of the Holy Spirit working in your life? Then there was the power of change that happened in the story when they, when they burned their books and confession of sin. And I would ask you as a church, do you have your sin confessed? That was characteristic of believers. And has your life changed? And is there a public testimony to that change? Sometimes we need to stand up 
and declare the change in our life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then there was a power. They grabbed two guys, two believers, and they drug them in there. And they're, I can't even imagine, an uncontrolled crowd and two believers, and they stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. People, the book of Acts is a book about change. It's about the power of God in people's lives. But it's for us today. With that, I'll close. Um, and I'll close in prayer in just a minute. I have one announcement to make before uh, we're dismissed. Just a reminder, in the next hour, right here in this room, Nathan Weber is going to share from Samaritan's Purse about the Christmas boxes that are sent out to children all around the world. And so I'd invite you to come and to hear about that ministry and about what's going to happen. And then next week, they'll actually be packaging these boxes that will go to children. So let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you how you speak to us through your word. Father, you knew we needed a helper and you sent us the Holy Spirit. Oh, that we would walk and yield to him and allow him to lead in our lives. Father, I pray that we would stand firm for the gospel of Jesus Christ and not be distracted by other things in the world. Help us boldly to put away those things that stand between us. And Father, I pray that we would be a church, that we would be a people who would boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in this community, in our surrounding area. Not to make our church bigger, but to bring honor and glory to you. And to change people's lives forever. What a great God you are. Thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You're dismissed. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check out fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.